Take a deep breath, take the higher road That's what they always say, as if they know the way They won't take it from me But don't ever doubt yourself, it's life ain't just a dream You make your own, so kick and scream The people will like with a never-ending force You never had the chance, so what you waiting for? The day has come, my friend, cause this is war As nurses, we wear many hats, but one of our most vital roles is that of patient advocate. In a system that often feels overwhelming and bureaucratic, it is imperative that we understand that we hold the power to effectively change the face of healthcare. As nurses, we serve as a voice for those who may not be able to speak for themselves. We empower patients by providing them with information and education and by showing them how to best advocate for themselves and for their loved ones. By doing so, we enable our patients to make decisions and participate in their own healthcare journey, with us as their guides, always ensuring that the principles of autonomy and informed consent are adhered to and upheld. We have the knowledge, skills, and dedication necessary to navigate complex healthcare systems on behalf of our patients and they depend on us to do so. We need to have the courage to challenge the status quo when necessary. We can't be afraid to challenge protocols or policies that may be detrimental to patient outcomes or safety. Whether it's advocating for additional resources, questioning medication orders, or speaking up against unethical practices, as nurses, we are at the forefront of change and should be constantly striving to improve health and promote patient-centered care. You're listening to Nurses Out Loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nurse Kimberly Overton. Before we get started today, I do want to encourage our listeners, if you have questions or comments, or perhaps you want to share your own experiences with what you're seeing on the front lines of healthcare, you can now submit those to any of us by sending them directly to nurses at americaoutloud.com. We would love to hear from you. We encourage all of you to engage in the battle and find your voice in this fight. But until you are able to do that, we will continue to be that voice for you. For today's show, I asked your Friday host here on Nurses Out Loud and my incredible friend, Jody O'Malley, to join me today. Um, I really just want to discuss a situation that I dealt with last week while I was attempting to advocate for my mother. My mother was recently hospitalized with some new onset cardiac issues. And being that Jody is a fellow ICU nurse, I really just wanted to get her perspective on this situation. So Jody, thank you so much for coming on with me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. I always love talking to you. It's even better when we can have it recorded and everybody can hear how we think. (laughs) Exactly. And it doesn't take much to get either one of us kind of fired up. And this is like one of those things um, that really, you know, you know, our perspective on, um, on ethics and, you know, the, the guiding principles of ethical nursing is something that we're both very passionate about. So when you get the two of us together talking about it, yeah, we could probably talk for quite some time. 
Oh, absolutely. And, you know, and I just hope that in having this conversation, other nurses that are listening or other family members that have nurses in their family will share this show with them because the reason why you and I essentially became whistleblowers was because we were violating the ethical principles of nursing. Right. Oh, exactly right. And, you know, it was it was really disheartening to see it happening over and over again. And I think so many nurses just don't even realize it, right? Like it's so subtle um, how these things happen. And I think that it's it's important that we point these things out. Um, but first of all, I do want to thank um, all of, you know, I had so many listeners and so many of my followers on social media that have, have reached out um, with just an incredible show of support and uh, continued prayers for my mom. So I just want to thank everybody so much for that. She is doing well. She's back at home. Um, and, you know, I it was just a, a situation where I was very grateful for the care that she had received. Um, but I became really disappointed because during this admission, my mother's right to have an advocate at the bedside was denied. So my mom was admitted to the ICU. She was um, admitted with new onset cardiac issues. Um, my mom is, um, unfortunately, she did receive a vaccine. Um, she received one dose. She has not felt right since I was able to convince her not to get any more, thankfully, but she did receive one dose of the vaccine. Um, and she now has new onset cardiac issues that she's never had before. Um, you know, we're not saying that that is necessarily related, but I'm not ignoring that it most likely is. Um, you know, but she she was um, admitted. She started having uh, heart rates in the 140s, the 150s. So she went in to be seen. I told her that she that was too high. She had to go in and uh, get an EKG. EKG come back uh, came back abnormal. So they sent her to the emergency room, um, and uh, doctor felt like it was flutter, and uh, that was confirmed. It was atrial flutter. So they had put her on a um, a cardizm drip. And trying to get her heart rate down and it would come down but it was it was not they weren't able to sustain that so they decided uh, that they were going to do a cardioversion to shock her if you don't know what a cardioversion is that's just basically they're um using the pads uh, or the paddle like you would see on tv when they do a defibrillator they use that to shock your heart back into a normal rhythm and uh, so that's what they plan to do and um, i was in agreement with that plan and as I was in the room, you know, with with my mother, it's a, it's a very simple procedure that's done at the bedside. Now, I will say, I will say that you know, if you're not familiar with a cardio, it can be jarring to see, right? It can be jarring to see that happen when somebody is shocked like that. But so when I told the, they had asked me to step outside, they said, okay, well, we're going to ask you to step outside. And I just very, you know, nonchalantly just let them know. I was like, no, I was like, I'm actually going to stay in here. And they, the cardiologist kind of gave me a look like, oh, well, I don't think that's a good, I said, listen, I'm an ICU nurse. I understand what happens during a, a cardioversion. I've been in on many of them. I'm completely comfortable with being here. Um, and he was like, oh, okay, great. And then he stepped outside the room with anesthesia and all of the other, you know, nurses and all of the other players there that were at the bedside. Uh, they came back a few moments later with the charge nurse. And now this is a charge nurse that I knew I actually worked with. I have a lot of respect for this nurse, actually. A very good nurse. And um, he said to me that he said he didn't think that he could allow me 
to stay in the room. And I was really surprised by that. And I looked at him and I said, what are you talking about? I said, you know, as well as I do, that I have every right to be in here with my mother. And he then said that he would have to just escalate it to hospital administration. So that upset me. Yeah. <laughs> Girl, that's so triggering. Yeah. You know, because it, it yeah, you know, you, you have the doc come in which I'm actually surprised that there was a cardiologist in the room because mm -hmm. a lot of times we, we did this in the emergency room. Yeah. So yeah. the fact that they had a cardiologist, uh, they, they were stepping it up a, uh, a little bit. Exactly. You know, we, we would just have a couple nurses and respiratory in there. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. This is a very common procedure. You know, this has been done, uh, you know, this is done all the time. This is very common. I can't count how many times I've been in on these. Um, you know, so it was, it was definitely different when the cardiologist came back and I said, he said, well, you may want to step out. And I said, and I, again, I explained to him, listen, I'm an ICU nurse. He says, well, I understand that you're an ICU nurse, but um, I said, well, but what, why do you, he's like, I, I just don't feel comfortable. He felt uncomfortable with having me there. Well, that just set off so many red flags. I can't even tell you. I'm already distrustful, right? right? Already distrustful of this system. Already thinking, like, I don't want my mom here. I don't want my mom in this ICU. By the way, the I this is the ICU that I worked in through COVID. Oh, um, yes. So was that your first time? Was that your first time back at the hospital since you left? No, it wasn't because my dad has uh, been in the ICU up there since. But that was the only other time was when I was up there with him. But, you know, it was, it's different. It's always different when I go back in there and kind of see everybody. Um, it's, it's a different vibe. I will say that. <laughs> I feel like m most people just don't, I don't know. I just feel like they just don't connect with me uh, on that same, you know, level that we used to. No. Mm -mm. And, that, and that's okay. That's okay. Um, but yeah, he was saying that he didn't feel comfortable. So I said, well, what exactly is it that is making you feel so uncomfortable? And he looked at me and he said, well, I just really feel that it's the um, that it deviates from hospital protocol. Oh, <laughs> Jody, I lost it in yeah. that moment. I was so, I was triggered. I was so triggered. I mean, I completely lost it in that moment. Um, I, all I could think about, and I said this, I said, you know, if you had deviated from hospital protocol, maybe we wouldn't have lost so many patients through COVID because that is why and we all know that we've discussed this, you know, ad nauseum, how, how we lost patients, not to COVID, but we lost them to the hospital protocols that these doctors don't deviate from. So that really triggered me. I started, I mean, like tears are coming now. <laughs> I'm like, like I'm yelling. And at this point, I'm like, what, are, what is wrong with you people? And I just, you know, I will say up to that point, I, I, I want to just make it very clear that I was not being that family member. Now, Jody, you know that family member, right? Yep. I was not being that family member. I just want to make that very, very clear to everybody. I was very polite. I was my presence there, very, very non-intrusive. I was literally just sitting back in the corner and just wanted to, you know, sit there. I wasn't, you know, filming anything. I wasn't, um, you know, standing over anybody's shoulder. I wasn't trying to intimidate anybody. I just wanted to be there with my mom through this procedure. Um, and then at that point, 
after I had my little meltdown over that, the trigger word, <laughs> at that point, they said, well, we're just going to go see other patients and we'll, we'll figure this out once it gets escalated to hospital administration. So they were willing to delay my mother's care over this, Jody. Yeah. And, and, and they know you, Kimberly. Exactly. They, they know what kind of nurse you are. So at that point, and you also knowing that you, you know, we we leave family in the room, even yeah. when we're coding a dead person. Exactly. We, we're we that's all, I said that too. I said that. I said, listen, I said, we allow family and during a chaotic code situation, family has every right to be in there. You're telling me that I can't be in there for this controlled procedure? In this controlled environment, what what's the problem? And the more that they uh, didn't want me there, the more uncomfortable I became, you know. But at that point, I made the decision, and I really didn't want to do this, but I made the decision to step outside the room um, because I did not want to delay my mother's care. You know, she needed this procedure, and I didn't want to delay that care. So I decided, okay, I'm going to step literally right outside the door. Um, you know, just behind the curtain. So, I mean, it's not even that big of a deal. The nurses came over, um, you know, and, and were talking with me about it. Uh, the manager came over. Again, you know, these are nurses that I've worked with, and I have a tremendous amount of respect for these nurses, right? Yeah. But the system, Jody, it's designed, it's created this environment, and it's the furthest thing from patient-centered care. And that's what I told them. I said, you should have been here backing me up. You should have been advocating for my mother to have a family member at, at the bedside and asking the physician or questioning the physician, what is your reasoning for not wanting them here or, or trying to work through that rather than escalating it to hospital administration and delaying my mother's care. So at this point, I just feel like the nursing staff, they've, they're not patient advocates any longer. They are hospital advocates. Mm-hmm. And it also and it also goes to show how nurses really run the hospital because that cardiologist did not have, you know, he felt as though like, I'm not going to talk to you. I, uh, you know what, I'm going to let the, the nurse supervisor handle it. Mm -hmm. That's yes. what I'm going to do. Yeah. And I'm confrontational, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, you know, I'm not dealing with this crap. Yeah. I'll, I'll let the hospital supervisor, which is always a nurse, by the way, yep. um, handle it. And, and that right there would have really just set me off too. Yeah. Like, you know, why can't you have a conversation with me? I, I know what you're doing. You don't have to explain it to me. It makes me more comfortable. My mom more comfortable for me to be in the room. So what's the big deal? And, and I think that just goes to show people how important an advocate is, right. you know, because even though you are a seasoned ICU nurse, they know you, you, you had to not do what your mom wanted you to do. Right. Right. And that really bothered me. And I told them, I said, I'm going to step out, you know, in the interest of not delaying her care, but don't think I'm going to drop this. I'm like, I will be addressing this issue. And they told me that, of course, somebody from quality and somebody from hospital administration was going to reach out to me that day. It's been, what, two days now? Nobody has reached out to me, by the way. Um, 
nobody has addressed my concerns. If I, I did tag the hospital on uh, social media and, and made it very clear my intention, you know, to um, to discuss this on the show. Nobody has since reached out to me about my concerns about my mother's right to having an advocate being denied. And I know that's a problem for me. You know, yeah. it's like they just don't care. And I really, you know, and, and like I said, I'm not going to name these nurses. <clears throat> I know these nurses, they're fantastic. Um, I'm not going to name them, but I really hope to use this experience just as a teachable moment for other nurses. And a gentle reminder to, to all of them, you know, we should be a voice and an advocate for these patients. And it is absolutely okay to buck the system to do it. Yeah, That's okay. In fact, it's necessary in many cases. That's what we should be doing. That's yeah. And that's, and you know, people just got so used to throwing around the word protocol, 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 you know, as though that that's their get out of jail free card, you know, and, and they don't have to answer for what they did. And they just said protocol it's protocol. I, I, I get it girl, because my mom was in the hospital. I actually did a show on this as well. She had to go in for a scheduled surgery. And when I arrived there, Uh, They told me that when she's done with surgery and she's ready to go home, they would call me and I'll pull up the car. Mm -hmm. And I said, that's the first time I'm going to see my mom Mm -hmm. after surgery is when I have the car going at the door, ready for her to get in. No, 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 that, that is not, that is not appropriate. And all they said was it's protocol. Yeah. It changed through COVID. It's protocol. And, you know, and it just was, it, it was horrific going through there. I didn't even realize how much trauma I was going to experience PTSD mm-hmm. uh, being in the hospital again, because that's my first time I've been in two years and, and it's, and it's horrible. And and so now you think about these nurses that have stayed in the system, knowing that what they were doing was unethical and what they have. I mean, think about what you have to do with your moral values and your integrity to push that down in order to stay in a system that, you know, that, you know, is not doing its best for the people and the patients. Right. And we've talked about this. We've talked about this before, how, you know, are they just, you know, we compartmentalize a lot as nurses. And I wonder how much of it is that. But although I just don't see, because the nurses that I was talking to, you know, he he was saying, well, you know, I just, I, we don't, he's like, I respect you and, and, but I don't, you know, we don't see eye to eye on these issues. And I can't see, you know, how, how you do, like, how, like you said, how far do you have to push it down to not see what's happening? and really not understand because i because i started talking about this as i was in the hallway during the the procedure when i was talking with the nurses i started talking about protocol and how we lost i said you were all here with me you all saw what happened and it's like i can't get them to to agree that anything happens that i can't get them to agree that we used remdesivir unnecessarily and we intubated people unnecessarily and that caused them to die it's like they don't see it and they look at me like I'm crazy. Um, 
but I, I just, but it, but to admit to it would be to have to say that you're complicit. So I guess in that way, you know, it's just, you just don't want to see it. Right. 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 You just want to remain willfully ignorant mm-hmm. and, and, you know, the more lies that you tell yourself, the more you start to believe it. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's what's happened with many of them. Or one of the biggest things is they are telling themselves that the patients need them. The patients need me. What if I were to go, then the patients aren't going to get the care they need. If all of us were to leave, the patients aren't going to get the care they need. And it's like, really? And you know, to a, to a certain extent, I will say, I like, I agree. We do need good, good nurses inside the system, right? But we need good nurses who are going to be speaking out loudly and who are going to be advocating for like alternative treatments like ivermectin and things like that, not who are just going along to get along with the system. So in that respect, I think, yes, we do need some good nurses to remain inside, but they have got to be willing to buck this system at every opportunity. And unfortunately, those nurses aren't going to last or they're not there anymore because they fired all of those nurses, right? Because all of those nurses who were willing to enable to stand and advocate for themselves and say, no, I'm not going to get this experimental jab. You know, those are the good nurses that would have advocated in this way for these patients. But if a, a nurse isn't willing to advocate for themselves, they're certainly not going to advocate for you or your family member. That's not no, going to happen. Yeah, that no, they won't. And uh, the next thing that comes up, you know, they're they're going to go along with it. Um, I think we'll have more people actually speak up this time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, here's the thing: it's like when we when we say yes, we need good nurses in the system. I, I agree with you hundred percent. But what nurses don't understand is the value and how loud our voices can be. Because if everyone that even questioned it, right, even questioned what you were saying and took the time to listen and went back to their ethical principles that they that they took, they could have easily have seen that they were violating them in the name of a pandemic and the nursing principles state implicitly that they are not to be like, we're not supposed to at all, you know, try to justify our actions outside of what they're saying. Right. Like one of them is, you know, veracity, right. The principle of truth telling, for example. And it's like, we, it required us to be honest in our, in with our interactions with our patients and our colleagues. We we had to be honest. And the fact that, you know, they didn't step up and realize how strong we are together, we could have shut this down immediately. Oh, God, yeah, we could have done this in the very beginning. Like, like I said, that moment that they told us our patients couldn't have an advocate, we should have been like, nope, nope, we're not going to do this. Um, and we didn't. We we had the numbers from the very beginning to, to shut this down. And unfortunately, the nurses did not step up in large numbers. You know, other organizations, other groups of people's other industries have, have uh, stepped up 
and and done amazing things and the nurses i feel like you know kind of failed and it should have been us it should have been us at the front line um saying no we're not we're not going to do this uh, that i mean that's literally our job is to question uh, you know orders or and things that don't make sense or things that are going to hinder um the best possible outcome for our patient we we're to question that you know we're not just supposed to say oh well it's covid you know we can't everything's different now that's that is we don't deviate uh, the same way that they don't deviate from protocol we don't deviate from the ethical standards of nursing care for any reason or we shouldn't be right right the, yeah well, not not at all i mean kimberly if you and i were working on the same unit at the time of covid yeah i think we could have really made a big difference can you imagine the two of us oh together (laughs) i would have loved it because it would have been like yes come at us exactly tell us what your facts are not Mm -hmm. your feelings i don't care about the feelings i don't care about the emotion of the situation i want to hear the facts yeah and they they wouldn't have been able to to withstand it and yeah I know it's, it's nuts. I mean, we even just had the surgeon general, Jerome Adams come out this week because he is selling a book. I sent it to you, right? Yes. I I don't know if you sent it. I saw it on Kristen Megan's uh, Facebook, I think. So, so he is selling a book after he spent however many um, months or whatever uh, criticizing people who have been speaking out about this, he took information that was provided to him, and just tell me if I'm getting this wrong, but he took information that was provided to him by people like Kristen Megan Kelly, like Tammy Clark, and he and all of these, you know, exposure scientists, and he's now using that information that he criticized, and now he's using that information to sell a book. Yes, absolutely. And he comes out and he says in there, that it was like one of the biggest mishaps of the handling of COVID was not to address ventilation. And it's like, are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. Are you kidding me? I cannot believe that he put that in black and white when that is so that's basic, basic public health 101, industrial Mm -hmm. hygiene, OSHA. I mean, all anybody needed to to do was just to Google, like, what is a public health response to uh, a respiratory, you know, type virus, like, right? And it would have just taken you down, taken you down the path. But yeah, I I just, I'm going to do a show on it Friday. So tune Mm -hmm. in for that because I'm going off on this dude. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, these are things that that Kristen Megan Kelly and again, Tammy Clark and, and their colleagues have been screaming about since day one. And they have been roundly criticized by, um, you know, the other their other colleagues that are too afraid to speak out, but know better. Same that we go through, you know, that these nurses know better, but they just they speak out so loudly against what we're saying um, or they just, you know, kind of put their head down. And don't say anything at all, which to me is just as bad. Yeah, absolutely. It's it, it's horrible. And, you know, we even had Deborah Burks come out and say, oh, she already knew that this wasn't going to work, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, how do all of these elected officials think that once they're out of office, they can write a book 
on how shitty they handled that. Exactly. Okay, you can't say you can't say that word. Malcolm's gonna get so mad at you. Oh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I told you the two of us together are no good. Sorry, Malcolm. Sorry, editors. <laughs> no, seriously, because I'll tell you. What's, what's the timestamp? You know how I feel about swearing, but all that is going in over in my head over and over and over again is MFR. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not kidding. And I'm like, don't say it out loud, Jody. Don't say it out loud. Don't say it over the radio waves. I think we can get like in trouble, can't we? I mean, but whatever. We're we don't care. <laughs> Right. Well, just, we, you know, we, I kind of live by that, like, you know, um, ask for forgiveness, not permission. Oops. Sorry. All right. <laughs> but, well, I'm sure it'll get bleeped out. It's, it's all good. Or it won't. No, he'll probably okay. leave it in. I had, who is a guy? Dr. Iadore. He's running Vivek, I think, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, who's running for president. And, and he said a couple little ones and i was like ah oh, man i'm not wasting my time editing right <laughs> okay no it's all good it's just moving on you know moving on i mean they say much worse now on tv so i think that we're okay yeah. <laughs> anything goes these days right i mean what we can't say a little four-letter word but we can like mutilate children and cut their genitals off and you know and, and play into mental illness we can do that no problem right right very interesting well, we'll talk a little bit more about that after break. But America Out Loud Talk Radio plays on the iHeartRadio network. You can also listen to on, a, on our media player from any web browser anywhere in the world. We have the best in-class apps available on Apple, Android, or Alexa 24-7. Great talk radio. All of our shows go to podcast the following day. You can hear them on apps such as Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeart Podcasts, and many more. Be sure to subscribe and rate the show on Apple Podcasts for me. Don't forget to check out our online store at americaoutloud.shop where you can find all of the products that we represent on our network at a discounted rate, including ASEA Redox, which I can personally speak to seeing fantastic results with, including better sleep, increased energy, improved mood, and a decrease in my joint pain. Use promo code OUTLOUD to save 15% off your purchase. I'll catch you on the other side of this break. Stay with us. It's time and then This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced? These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system to keep our bodies free from harmful bacteria, viruses, and toxins become less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code OUTLOUD. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the wellness company designed their spike support formula 
with the miracle enzyme natokinase, scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best. Go to OutloudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity, unlike other supplements that don't work. Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free, love it, or your money back, guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code out loud. AmericaOutloud.news is beaten to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, troubled, misled, joyful, and thankful. We know you because we are you. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Welcome back to Nurses Out Loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nurse Kimberly Overton. Wherever you're listening from today and whatever you're doing, I thank you for giving me the gift of your time. Be sure to make AmericaOutloud.news your daily stop for all of the latest news and happenings. We all must do our part and share the stories, the articles, the podcasts, and videos so we can help secure America's future. If you're just joining us, I have been talking with fellow RN and your Friday host here on Nurses Out Loud, Jody O'Malley. So let's jump right back in. Jody, thanks again for being here with me today. Oh, yes, I love it. It's always, I always love having you on the show. It's always so fun. Uh, even though you're, no, gonna, and it's I know so you're nice going to be discussing. <laughs> I, won't, I won't swear anymore. So, it's okay. It's okay. Um, I mean, I'm from Boston. You know, you're not offending me, but. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Probably like growing up, it, it was, I, I swore a lot. Oh, yeah. I used it like a comma. So, but I became definitely more cognizant of that when I moved down to in the, in the South. I was like, oh, you can't do that here. <laughs> right, right. It's been, you have to, you have to act like a lady and, yes. and yes, use your words. Yes. So, so I've tried to rein that in and I think I've done a pretty good job. It's uh, sometimes when Jody and I get together and we are talking about something we are so passionate about. Sometimes it just, the words slip out. What can you do? Right. <laughs> <laughs> or if we had a couple drinks and someone else. Oh, yeah. Or a couple of those. <laughs> but you know, um, I think that's the thing, you know, and I think, I, I know you're not, we're not talking about this, but you know, when we talk about Christians, you know, and, and people know that, you know, absolutely we submitted to God and we're led by the Holy Spirit, you know, but when people say, oh, you, you know, if you do swear that you're not a good Christian or something, it's like, oh my gosh, people, you know, yeah. it's like, we're all just doing the best we can. Exactly. This is funny that you mentioned that because I actually had a, a great conversation last night. A good friend of mine, uh, Tim, we were all out last night. Um, actually, I told him, I was like, I need to have you on my show. 
Um, he's fantastic. He grew up, he's never had, he's never done any drugs. He's never smoked. He's never had a drop of alcohol, right? Nothing. Um, he grew up Nazarene and uh, he was telling me about how he, you know, he used to grow up and he was always very judgmental of others who would do that. He was like, oh my God, everybody's going to go to hell, you know? Um, but then he started, as he got older, he started to realize, and this is what he said last night, and he made a great point. He said, you know, how do we, are we to know what grace is for if we don't do anything outside of God's will, right? And and he's so right. You know, what's grace for if not to... Um, forgive us because we're we're very imperfect right we're not perfect at all but that's why we have grace and thank god for that that doesn't mean like we we you know sin and sin and sin again because of god's grace no but you know it exists for a reason and you know because we're not perfect um even when we strive to be but there's no other perfect uh person on this walking this earth other than jesus so Right. And that's where people, you know, that's where I step back and I say, it's not about a religion. It's about a relationship. relationship yeah. You have your relationship with him and I'll have mine. Exactly. You know? and, exactly. and don't try to, you know, tell me or judge me. How about that? Right. You know? Yeah. And, and I completely agree with that. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, when we were talking about advocacy and, and um, you know, how, how can we, as this not even being like, listen, I am very vocal. I'm, uh, you know, have done nothing but advocate for the last three years, right? And even I'm struggling to advocate for my own mother. And I'm a nurse and I understand how to navigate the system. And I'm struggling, right? And I was not able to be at my mother's side. So, how, Jody, are these people who don't have? you know, this, this knowledge or, you know, perhaps the uh, strength to stand up, how, how are they to stand a chance to advocate for their family members? If, you know, people like us are struggling. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good one. I, I think, you know, even people that know what's up and, you know, they're, they're armed and they're prepared and, you know, they, they have the resolve. What happens when you get into that hospital especially if you don't have an advocate at bedside. And that is why we will never say that somebody is not allowed at the bedside again, right? Nurses, we're never going to do that again. We are going to put a nurse's note in and say, family educated on potential risks, et cetera. And they agree to, you know, that, you know, they're owning up to it. Like, and sorry, my, I, I need more coffee. Um, <laughs> <Not me too. laughs> but that is what we're going to do. And, and so I don't think people really account for the pressure that is put on you, uh, for you to buckle. And when they talk about the white coat syndrome, Come on, come on, Kimberly. Let, let's talk yeah. about that. How many times have you had a conversation with a patient even one at length about what they wanted, what the course of action is going to be, et cetera. You could have been talking with them for 20, 30 minutes, let's say. And that doctor comes in the room and within minutes they buckle under pressure and they do what the doctor said. Every time, every time, every time. Yeah. And it's like, okay, we just had this long, you know, conversation about all this and you were very determined that this is what you were going to do. But as soon as the doctor says, no, I think we should not do that. And 
really doesn't give any reason why. Um, just says, no, that's not the way that we should do it. Just like that doctor didn't give me any reason why. Just, oh, that deviates from protocol. Um, really wasn't expecting my response to that, I don't think. But they never like really give you any good rationale. They're just like, oh, I'm the doctor. And people right. trust that. They have that implicit trust in the white coat, which I think is such I mean, that to me, that's how we got into this mess to begin with, is that implicit trust in the white coat. And we were talking about when we were on break, uh, you and I were talking about a, a little bit about how um, people are very, you know, uh, staunchly saying, I don't want a ventilator. I don't want um, remdesivir. Like they have these things. I would seen patients that had it written on their bodies, literally yeah. written on their bodies, no vent, no remdesivir. And guess what they got intubated and they got remdesivir anyways yep. Yep. how does that happen where you know this is this is why i'm so distrustful of this system and like i said there are good nurses in there but even those good nurses are still not advocating because like i said those nurses as much as i love and respect them they should have been advocating for my mother and myself not being hospital advocates mm-hmm and that's all that they were that's all that they were doing and that's what was so disappointing and that's what i pointed out you know very not maybe not so gently but that's what i pointed out to them is that i said we are supposed to be advocating for these patients why is that not happening i may have gotten a little bit passionate (laughs) as i was having this conversation but i mean it just i think it's been so subtle that the system and the way that it's designed is really it weaponizes the nurses against their patients and their family members. Yeah, really. Yeah, it does. You know, you know, having an an advocate prior to going into the hospital or having an advocate that really understands, you know, the, uh, the the flow of the hospital or the medicine, like having a nurse is, <laughs> is so important, you know, to and, and I'm not just talking about like, uh, pediatric school nurse, right? I'm talking about, you know, somebody that understands critical care and emergency medicine, because if you have somebody that is equipped say a Kimberly or a Jody, right? We will know what to say and what to do. And we will also talk with you. It's, It's just like when my dad went to the hospital, you know, he went to the hospital and he, his oxygen was low and his blood pressure was low and they gave him fluids. They treated him as a septic uh, workup. They gave him fluids and uh, antibiotic. And guess what? They also tested him for COVID and he came back positive. Yeah. And, and I was like, well, we're not doing remdesivir. So stop even thinking COVID right now. There's something else going on with my dad. It's not COVID. I assure you. Because he had already taken uh, like four days of ivermectin when before he went in. Right. So it was definitely something else. And it was something else. And you know what it was, was he had a bleed in his belly. And and they also wanted to give him um, two units of blood in the emergency room. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, we're not doing that either. We are going to find out where the bleed is. And then I had three different doctors call me up, even a cardiologist and say, your dad has congestive heart failure and 
His, you know, his blood levels are right below the normal of what we would transfuse for a heart patient and, and all of this craziness, right? He's on, you know, four liters of oxygen. And I said, okay, well, what's his sats right now? And they said, a hundred percent. And I said, okay, turn off the oxygen, (laughs) turn off the oxygen. Yeah. And then I was like, what is it now? 94%. Oh, okay. Well, he's doing okay then. Yes, he didn't oxygen either. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And he, um, and I think this this happened. I think you were here with me when this was going on, if I remember, because I remember you having these conversations. Um, and that's so important. That's why what, what we do at Remnant Nursing and, and we are able to provide advocacy services, there's so much value in that. Because, you know, nurses are going to know what questions to ask, you know, unfortunately, you know, if you don't have that background and that knowledge, and I'm I'm talking specifically ICU nurses, they know exactly what to ask, Um, you know, otherwise, it's just you're in that position where you just have to trust uh, the doctor. And, yep, and, and every single doctor that came in that room were all said it's protocol. Mm-hmm. It's protocol. And even though after the two liters, his blood pressure was normal, his heart rate was normal, his respirations were normal, and the oxygen was normal. I said, well, what are you treating now? You're not treating the same man that walked in that room where you made him wear a freaking mask. Mm-hmm. And it already, he has COPD. My dad has like all of it, right? All of it. And diabetes. I mean, you name it, you know, when we're talking about people that have all these comorbidities, he that, that that's him. Yeah. And because of the patient advocacy, I was able to give to him, they found that he had a small um, arterial venous malformation in his stomach, and they went in and cauterized it. Yeah. Because I told him, I said, Dad, if they give you blood, they're going to do a repeat blood count. And if it's normal, they're going to send you home and you are going to have to follow up with all these specialists. I said, we're we're going to take care of it while you're in the hospital. And let me tell you, it was a lot for me to do um, being on the phone and arguing with these people. But you know what I also did? I sent them lunch. Mm -hmm. Every day he was in the hospital, I sent them some food. Yeah. And that goes a long way. It, it really does go a long way. I had this conversation with some, I can't remember who I was talking to, but they were telling me that um, that every day um, that their family member was in the hospital, that they would send them food. I was like, well, and, and that's what I said. I was like, listen, if you want the nurse, feed the nurses, um, you know, and, and you'll get a good, you'll get a good response from them. I hate to say that, but it's true. No, it's so true because it makes you feel appreciated. Right, you know? exactly. Especially in It's not day. a bribe. We just feel like you you appreciate the work that we're doing and uh you know, we we will uh, we will remember that, you know, cuz we're we're often not treated very well by patients, by family members. We're not always treated that, you know, respectfully. So when somebody makes a point to do something nice like send us food or even just a kind word, um it it sticks out to us because it doesn't happen often. That's right. That's right. And I think another big point to make is that if you have an advocate and they're not in that room when the doctor comes in, you make sure that you get them on the phone Yes. because that was something my dad was not good at. I would call him and I said, has the doctor not come in yet? Oh yeah. He just left. Mm -hmm. And I was like, 
why didn't you call me? And he would say, oh, he was in a hurry. And I'm like, they're always in a hurry. Exactly. Uh, you know, and then I even put it in their chart. And every nurse on every shift, I said, you are not to do anything unless you call me first. Yeah. You know, and they still would drop the ball sometimes, right? So, so I, I think if you're a patient and you have an advocate, you have got to get that advocate on the phone and let them hear what's going on. That doctor can wait, that nurse can wait yeah. and, and get your advocate on the phone and, um, and make sure that they hear what's going on. Because even one missed meeting, there's so much information that comes from it that will be lost in translation. Yeah. And the translation, it's never, it's always lost. It, it never gets translated back appropriately, unfortunately. So it is, it's crucial that you do have that advocate and that knowledgeable person, whether it be a family member, if they're a nurse, not a nurse, but just somebody uh, who understands it can help to navigate that and speak up when necessary. Because a lot of times, like, listen, patients are, they're in a vulnerable situation they're afraid, they don't understand what's going on. And, and they do have that implicit trust, even in a system that we so are so distrustful of. Sometimes it's, you know, they cling to that, the, the white coat, and that they actually know what they're doing. And I'm not saying that they don't, you know, know what they're doing, some of them do, but not enough of them um, question, not enough of them dig deep anymore. So it's really reliant on ourselves and our family members uh, to to ensure that that's happening. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think it's very important to also realize that it's around this time of year that you get all of the the student doctors. Yes. Right. Yes. And 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 they walk in the room like they're a doctor, but they're not. I mean, they're not, they're, they're far enough along, but they're baby doctors Yeah. and all the nurses, we all know, especially the ICU nurses, they're like, oh, here we go. We got to train them all again. Yeah. <laughs> you know that you, and you've hung around the ICU. So, you know, that old saying, um, you know, a good nurse can save you from a bad doctor, but nobody can save you from a bad nurse. And that's so true. Yeah, so true. That is, that's definitely an ICU saying, um, and it's there's so much truth to it because those good nurses will save you from those bad, or I won't even say bad, but or inexperienced physicians. But you know, from bad nurse, it's really difficult. Um, but but you know, situations like that where we have to be advocating. I I don't know if you saw it or not, but I had um, posted an episode that I did several uh, several months ago. It was one of my very early episodes I did with Lourdes Lavoy. Um, her daughter had a, a traumatic brain injury and they were telling her that her daughter was brain dead and that there was no hope. They really wanted her to pull the plug. And she was like, no, she did her own research. She and she was pushing and pushing these doctors um, to give her fish oil. And really? yes, I, and I posted this and, and Lourdes, um, Lourdes replied to this uh, because it builds back the brain. So this girl went from like the doll eyes, everything, you know, like she wasn't, they, they said she would never make it out of it. Um, and she had a remarkable recovery, but only because 
Lourdes stood and advocated and fought and says, well, this is what we're going to do. And she said, that I think it was like 20, uh, 20 grams of fish oil or something like that. And they said, no, we can't give that dose. Um, it will kill, it will kill her. I think is what they said. They said, she said, well, you said that you there, she's going to die anyway, and you're ready to pull the plug. So I'm telling you right now, this is what we're doing. Yes. And she convinced them. I mean, it's a fantastic episode. I'm, and I'm going to link to it in my show notes because I think everybody should listen to it. Uh, because it's just it's just more proof of that implicit trust in the white coat had she not fought for her daughter her daughter wouldn't be here her grandchild wouldn't be here you know if not her tenacity and saying no um, i'm telling you that there's something else we can try just do everything and um and one of the doctors i can remember her telling me but one of the doctors came back and said and thanked her and he said, you know, this is the stuff that they don't teach us in medical school. Right. And, um, but I mean, just, the, I get chills even thinking about this story, Jody. It's it's really incredible um, what we can do and the power that we have as advocates when we just keep pushing. Um, they don't know everything. They are not God. Doctors are not gods. They are not. The furthest from it. I mean, actually, you know, what they are these days are paycheck employees. We we don't, we don't, unless you have a doctor that's like a concierge doctor who you're paying cash to and they can do whatever they want with you. Essentially, they don't have to follow big pharma scripts and all of that. Um, You know, your chances of having a physician that is autonomous is very, very few and far between. Like we know Kimberly in the hospital, it's a hospitalist, right? They're groups of doctors that essentially are, are paycheck employees and they come there for their shift. And when they clock out, they clock out and they're held to the standards set forth by hospital administrators mm-hmm. and hospital. Where do they get them from the CDC, the FDA, the NIH, all of those protocols? That's exactly right. It comes down from HHS and it trickles down to these hospital administrators. I mean, I still want to know the, I I still got to get my hands on the paper or the letter that was sent out overnight to all of the hospitals in America and saying, saying, you know, turn everybody away uh, unless they're blue in the face. Yeah, really, I want to hear like, how did they get these doctors to comply? And listen, that was happening. That happened in my hospital where they had changed the admission criteria to like they would not even admit you. I don't care how sick you were. If your SATs were not 88 percent or below, you were not admitted. You were not admitted. Come back when you can't breathe. Yeah. Wow. That's that's what was happening. 88 percent. We were 92, less than 92. Yeah, no, it was 92 and then they changed it to 88%. So it's basically come back when you're a good candidate for the ventilator and we'll go from there. And it's the saddest thing. And it was the most egregious thing, you know, was, was seeing them turn these patients away who are clearly struggling. You know, we're not treating them with steroids. We're not doing anything to mitigate the damage. And then they are getting them back. They're pushing for early intubation, even on those patients that did not need it. Um, to for that to contain the virus, which was probably the most egregious thing I've ever seen in my career, um, to uh, you know intubate these patients, and we know that they had an eighty percent chance they're not coming off of it. To so they said contain a virus to protect the healthcare workers. <laughs> I've never in my life. 
mind blowing. I mean, yes. And the doctors that were going along with it, I couldn't understand it. And and to this day, I will never stop. I will never stop speaking out against what happened. Um, You know, whether these nurses want to believe it or not, this is this is what happened. And the longer you stay in this system, the more complicit you are and the more you're saying that it's okay. That's right. Yeah. I mean, speaking of, you know, I I don't know if you promote uh, what you're doing on the side very often, but remnantnursing.org guys like check out what Kimberly has going on. You know, she is, is training nurses. We, we have people that we have collaborated with to teach you functional medicine training for $2,000 to get your certification. That's nothing. You know, you could uh, order your own labs for, for people and keep them out of the hospital. And what about Shelly doing the IV therapy training for like $700? You know, we've teamed up with a lot of amazing nurses that have been action driven to do something um, different. And with remnantnursing.org, you have the ability to, you know, to, to care for people, you know, either by, you know, over the electronics over the airwaves, right? Or also go into their home. So remnantnursing.org, I I know you probably don't talk about it that much, but um, Kimberly is doing amazing things, guys, with Nurse Freedom Network. She travels all over the country, all of the time, speaking. We don't get paid for this. And I don't think people really understand. You know, even the show that you're listening to us on now, we don't get a paycheck for this, you <laughs> yeah. know? And we love it, but no. <laughs> no, I mean, Malcolm has been the owner of America Out Loud Talk Radio, was gracious enough to give us a spot that we can speak on air five days a week, uncensored, to get our message out to you guys. You know, a lot of people that are on the radio, they pay to be on the radio, you know, on, on the different networks. And, and you know, he, he hasn't done that with us. But a lot of the stuff that we do, I would say 90% of the stuff that we do is is volunteer based. And, and that is from generous donations from you guys. And don't you love it when people say to you like, oh, thank you for doing what you're doing. I wish that I would. I could have done that, but I have a mortgage to pay. Like we didn't have a mortgage to pay. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I, I have no money. I think I had like 10K, 10 grand in my 401k. Yeah. I blew the whistle. Like, right. But you no, know, it's not, you know, it is, it is what it is. We did what we did. And, you know, here we are, but we are on God's provisions and on God's time. And, and, and speaking of time, we're, we're running out of it. And Malcolm will get really upset if we go over. <laughs> we love you, Malcolm. <laughs> But, um, How much but, time do we have? We're at 55. Like, we've got to go. Oh, shoot. Okay, well, let me plug my membership community. <laughs> do go it. Go I am creating a new private membership community that is aimed to increase your confidence so you have the courage to walk in your calling and to empower women of faith to come together. This is going to be amazing. Thank you, Kimberly. Amen. Thank you so much for being here, Jody O'Malley. And that's all the time that we have for today, friends. But remember, we are here on the air five days a week, Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. Eastern, with a different nurse host daily. We are in a war for truth. 
We are putting out a bounty on the real misinformation and exposing the purveyors of propaganda. No topic is off limits as we shine our lights and expose the darkness.